Our scripture reading is from Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, read the entire chapter. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez begot Hezron, and Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Aminadab, Aminadab begot Nashon, and Nashon begot Salmon. Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab, Boaz begot Obed by Ruth, and Obed begot Jesse. And Jesse begot David the king. David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon begot Rehoboam. Rehoboam begot Abijah, and Abijah begot Asa. Asa begot Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat begot Joram, and Joram begot Uzziah. Uzziah begot Jotham, Jotham begot Ahaz, and Ahaz begot Hezekiah. Hezekiah begot Manasseh, Manasseh begot Ammon, and Ammon begot Josiah. Josiah begot Jeconiah and his brothers about the time they were carried away to Babylon. And after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconiah begot Shealtiel, and Shealtiel begot Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel begot Abiud, and Abiud begot Eliakim. And Eliakim begot Azor, and Azor begot Zadok, and Zadok begot Achim, and Achim begot Eliud. Eliud begot Eliezer, Eliezer begot Matan, and Matan begot Jacob. And Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David are fourteen generations. From David until the captivity in Babylon are fourteen generations. And from the captivity in Babylon until Christ are fourteen generations. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which is translated, God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife, and did not know her until she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name 
Jesus. As far as the reading of God's holy word, and in connection with Scripture, we also read from the Heidelberg Catechism and Lord's Day 6, on page 32 in the back of your Psalter, Lord's Day 6. And there we read in question 16, Why must he be very man and also perfectly righteous? The answer is because the justice of God requires that the same human nature which has sinned should likewise make satisfaction for sin. And one who is himself a sinner cannot satisfy for others. And question 17 asks, why must he in one person be also very God? The answer is that he might, by the power of his Godhead, sustain in his human nature the burden of God's wrath, and, he, and might obtain for and restore to us righteousness and life. Question 18 asks, who then is that mediator, who is in one person both very God and a real righteous man? The answer is our Lord Jesus Christ, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness, sanctification and redemption. And question 19 asks, Whence knowest thou this? Or where do you know this from? From the Holy Gospel, from God him, for which God himself first revealed in paradise and afterward published by the patriarchs and prophets and represented by the sacrifices and other ceremonies of the law. And lastly, has fulfilled it by his only begotten Son. Dear congregation, the question that was asked was, who then is that mediator? You all know the answer. But when we think about how this was revealed, if you think of the night, the cold, dark night, it's often those last hours right before morning when it gets the coldest. And it can often seem the darkest. And if you're waiting for morning to come, they can often seem like the longest. And as we heard this morning, it was at the darkest point of human history that God placed those two beacons of light that we heard of, and how, how God comes to, in, in His mercy to sinners when they are fallen in their sin, when they're totally lost and depraved in their sin apart from God. And there God gave that promise of that deliverer to lead, who would, who would come, who would deliver them from their sin. And Adam and Eve must have thought about that promise often. As they, as they went about their daily work and now had to labor under such grueling conditions, and they would have wondered, who is this deliverer? Who is this mediator who can fix this sin that we have caused? Who can stand between us and a holy God. And how can we learn about Him? How can we learn about who this will be? And as the Catechism pointed out there in question 19, it says we learn about Him from the Gospel. God Himself promised it there in Genesis, and it was published by the patriarchs and by the prophets, and every sacrifice in history, all the ceremonies, they all are pointing us to this one 
deliverer until he himself came. And as, we, as you read through the Bible from, from the beginning to the end, it's almost like sailing through the sea, sailing towards those two beacons that we talked about this morning. And I want to use that illustration again this evening. For those who weren't here this morning, there is, those beacons are they're called guiding lights, leading lights that are two light towers that are placed on the shore. And when a ship is out at sea, they can see these two lights, one behind the other, one a little bit higher than, than the first. And when the sailor and the pilot, he, he lines up these lights, he knows there's a safe passage, a safe channel to follow to the harbor. And the closer, the closer the ship would approach to shore, the brighter these lights would shine, the clearer they would be in front of them. And as we read the Bible, the Bible guides us through, you could say, the, the rocky channels of, of history, and it shows us with increasing clarity who this deliverer is. Until finally, like we read this morning in Matthew 1.21, we read of that angel that came to Joseph and assured him that Mary was pregnant with the, the Son of God. He will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The mediator is the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's our theme this afternoon, the mediator declared. We want to look at that in a little more detail, because God has been revealing the mediator ever since Genesis 3, verse 15, as we heard this morning. But as we sail through Scripture, as you read through Scripture, it's just like when you're on a ship, on, on, a, on a tour boat or something, you can't see everything at once. You can't see all the scenery as you pass. And as you read through Scripture, there's so much to see and so much to learn. You don't, you don't see it all in, in one pass. And so as we begin to sail toward these two lights, to, to see how this deliverer is revealed, we, we'll observe some of the scenery as we pass by, as we float through these channels. We heard how, we heard how God comes to us where we are in our fallen state, out in a tumultuous ocean. Like Adam and Eve, we have sinned. And what we are aware of initially from the beginning is, is that God is absolutely holy, absolutely just and righteous and perfect. God cannot leave sin unpunished, that His justice must be satisfied. But at the same time, He's showing us that there is mercy, that He has made a passage of mercy possible. And we see that, we saw that this morning, that before God pronounces a curse on Adam and Eve, on a man and woman for their sin, He comes with this gracious announcement. Even before the sentence is passed, God shows the way of escape. Remember that last time we look at the catechism in question 12, it asks, is there no way to escape the punishment that we justly deserve? Is there no way to escape the punishment of God? And here we see that God first curses the serpent in Genesis 3 verse 14. 
And we heard also that when Satan and the fallen angels are cursed, there's no hope of deliverance for them. They're forever under that curse and under the wrath of God. He said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Genesis 3.15. He said there will be enmity between God's people and Satan and his people. And children, if you think of, of a kingdom or a castle, again, if there's, a, if there's a king ruling in the castle and all the people willingly submit to his power and he has everyone in control, then, then there's peace. Then there's harmony. And you could say in, when Adam and Eve listened to Satan, they had submitted themselves willingly to Satan's control. They had given in to that temptation. But what God is saying is that He won't let them stay there. He won't let them remain under the power and control of Satan. But there will be a rebellion. There will be hostility between them. And so there is a way of escape that will come through the one who is born of the seed of a woman. A descendant born of Eve will come and bruise Satan's head. That he means he'll mortally crush Satan's head and destroy him forever. And this deliverer, we heard, will lead Adam and Eve to victory against sin, against Satan. And so it is that the Lord delivers us from the power of darkness and from the dominion of sin through this deliverer. God is saying that this seed of the woman is our deliverer, our mediator. He is the captain of our salvation who will lead us to victory. And so who is this mediator? Because in Genesis 3, it doesn't say who he is. And there's a long history from Genesis 3 all the way to Matthew 1. And in that long history... In that long channel, God reveals in many different ways what must happen for you and I to be reconciled with God, to be delivered from the punishment against our sin. And he speaks of the seed of the woman who will be born. But who is he? And you can think of Adam and Eve as they would have been looking for this deliverer, even in, in their own children, maybe. As they observe the consequences of their sin, they say, when is this deliverer coming? When will this be made right? Cain killed his own brother Abel. Cain had to flee, and they see all these consequences. And maybe you wonder yourself here today, who can deliver me from my sin, from the power of my sin, from the power of evil that we see in our country around us? Who can deliver me from my guilt? How can I get rid of my guilt? And so as we begin to sail further through the pages of Scripture, we, we then come to Noah. And in the days of Noah, we read in Genesis 6 that the wickedness on the earth was great and that every intent of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. The intent of the heart was only to do evil. 
Just like Satan's continual intent was to try crush the seed of the woman. And we see those same inclinations in our own hearts, don't we? And what did God say? What did God say to Noah's day? He said, I will start over. He would destroy all the wicked people except Noah and his family and start over. Start over with a new generation. We need a new beginning. So God did destroy all the wicked world with a flood. But after that, God said in Genesis 8, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, even though the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done before. So starting over with Noah did not solve the problem, did it, children? Starting over with Noah didn't solve the problem. It didn't solve the problem of her sinful heart. And that's because we need a deliverer. We need someone who can bring us back to God. We need someone who can change our evil hearts. And so as we read further on through Scripture, it says this wickedness continued. They forgot God. They built a tower. Children, remember what the tower was called that they built? The Tower of Babel? They, they wanted to build their own name. They wanted to make a name for themselves. They wanted to stay together. But then God caused them to spread out over the whole world and to do what He initially commanded to fill the earth and to subdue it. And then as we continue to sail through Scripture, we see how those two beacons of light continue to guide us, how God shows us the generations through which the Deliverer would come. In Matthew 1, we read the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. That's a a quick summary in, in half a chapter, but the Old Testament from is, is a detailed view of all those generations. It's, it's a description of all the scenery, you might say, along this channel. From the promise of the seed of the woman, God traces the families to keep pointing to that seed and where he would be born. Matthew goes back to Abraham, but Luke, Luke goes all the way back to Adam. And God called Abraham. And he promised to him that, he would, that his seed, his descendants, would inherit this land. And the Lord keeps narrowing it down to who it will be. Then his son Isaac, not to Ishmael, he said, but in Isaac shall their seed be. And then there was Jacob. And Jacob, he made a promise to Jacob that in him all the nations would be blessed. And then through Judah. And so the Lord keeps narrowing this down. But then there was a period of darkness when Israel ended up in Egypt and when he had to serve as slaves for many years until Israel cried out to God for a deliverer. We need a deliverer. And so Moses was born. And initially Moses tried himself and he said he tried to defend his people from the Egyptian slave drivers But then he had to flee for his own life. 
until God called him in Exodus 3. And God said, I've heard the cry of my people. I've come to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them to the promised land. Here the Lord is promising again to deliver his people. The Lord would send Moses. And so Moses led Israel out of Egypt through the Red Sea into the wilderness. And then they were at Mount Sinai. And what did God do at Mount Sinai, children? What did God do at Mount Sinai? What did he tell the people? He gave them his law. God was revealing what it is required, what is required of us to be able to stand in the presence of God. We have to be perfectly righteous, perfectly holy, to be able to dwell in his presence. But as God's, as Israel realized, we realize that we cannot keep the law but we're subject to the penalty, to the punishment of the law. That that thundering mountain causes us to tremble, doesn't it, before the justice of God. We can't keep the law. We, we, We can't come to God with keeping the law. We need a deliverer because this law only condemns us. We need someone who can deliver us from the curse of the law because this law is broken and the and the penalty must be paid. And right now we need a mediator to stand between us and God because His justice requires that we must be punished. And Moses showed us what a mediator is. He stood between God and Israel. He approached God on behalf of Israel. Israel sinned many times, didn't they? They even worshipped the golden idols. And God said in Exodus 23, I will start over. I will destroy all the people again. And Moses, I will start over with you. But what did Moses do? Moses interceded for the people. He pleaded with God, don't destroy the people. You made a promise to them. Remember your promise you made to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob that their seed would inherit the land, would fill the earth forever. And so we need a mediator, children. We need a mediator to stand between us and God. We need a mediator to intercede for us so that God will not destroy us for our sin. We need to be delivered from the power and presence of our sin. And then we sail a little further. And then we see how God shows Moses and his people how we must approach God. God laid out a specific way how His people must come to Him. They built a tabernacle that represented God dwelling in their midst. He promised that He was their God and they were to be His people. And the tabernacle was a visible reminder showing them that God was dwelling with them. And they had to follow the specific guidelines that what God had commanded of how to draw near to Him. And in a way, it reminds us of the Garden of Eden where, where God walked with Adam and Eve. Here, God was in their midst, but now it had to be through the tabernacle, through the sacrifices. And they had to come and they had to offer the animals, the blood sacrifices. Every day, those animals had to be sacrificed. Their blood had to be splashed on the altars. 
But once a year, Aaron the high priest could take the blood of the bowl and, and enter the most holy place, carrying the blood shed for sin into the presence of God. He was acting as their mediator to stand in the presence of God. Because Hebrew 9 verse 22 says, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. Without death, there is no forgiveness of sins. And we saw that in Genesis 3.21, where God demonstrated that blood had to be shed when He killed that first animal in paradise. And He clothed Adam and Eve with the tunics made from the animals to cover them. Our sin must be paid with blood because the penalty for sin is eternal death. But we know animal sacrifices can't pay for our sin. They're animals and we are humans. We saw that in question 14 last time. It makes it clear. We need someone who can pay for our sins. Who is able to pay with his own blood for our sins? Who is this mediator? We need a mediator who can carry the blood payment for our sins into the presence of a holy God. That's what Aaron the high priest was representing when he went into the temple. And so who is that mediator, children? It couldn't be Aaron because he had to bring blood for his own sins. And he's no longer alive. He's no longer able to do it for us. We need a mediator who has no sin, who doesn't have to offer for his own sin. We cannot enter the presence of God because we have sin. And when God covered Adam and Eve with those animal skins, it meant that our sins first need to be covered. Covered in the righteousness of Christ is what it means. And so who is this mediator? It's not Aaron, it's not Moses. He sinned, he died. It wasn't the animals. And so we continue going through Scripture. We continue sailing. Then Joshua was appointed to take Moses' place. He led the nation of Israel through the River Jordan, remember, into the land of Canaan. And the land of Canaan is a picture of that promised land, of that heavenly glory that God's people will enter into. But it wasn't Joshua either. It all points us further to the captain of our salvation. Then we enter the time of the judges. The light shines on there as a need for a king. We need a king to rule over us. And there's a constant refrain in the book of Judges. It says, in those days there was no king in Israel. And everyone did what was right in his own eyes. The people said, we need a king to rule over us. It's becoming like the days of Noah again when wickedness prevails everywhere. We need law, we need order, we need rules. We know that in our own families. When children are left unattended, it generally turns to chaos. We need rule, we need oversight. So they anointed Saul, but he didn't lead him to God. But then God called David, a man after God's own heart. And he led the people in truth and in justice according God, to God's word. But then God came with another promise. 
In 2 Samuel 7, God promised He would establish David's throne forever, and His seed would reign forever. David's son would reign on the throne forever. Now, David was a conquering king. He, he conquered all the enemies around him. He brought peace to the land, but he also sinned, and he also died. It wasn't David. But then his son came to the throne, Solomon. He reigned in peace. He reigned in, in prosperity, but he also died. He also sinned. But God's promise was that David's son would sit on the throne. So who is he? We also need a king. We need a king to rule in our hearts. We need a king to drive away our spiritual enemies. We need a king who will reign and rule in perfect peace. And we hear Isaiah say that, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. That's what we need in our hearts, isn't it? We need a king to rule our lives because if we don't have anyone to rule, we do what's right in our own eyes. How will we obey God when the intent of our heart is only to do evil? How will all those people in this world obey God when our hearts are inclined to evil, as His Word says? We need a new heart. We need a king to establish His rule in our heart, to bring His peace into our heart. Who is this king, children? Who is this king who will rule in your heart? And then we hear about the prophets. The prophets who came and told them to turn to God and to obey God's law. And what did they do to the prophets? Did they listen to the prophets? Did they listen to the prophets? No. They heard him for a short while, but then Hebrews 11 says they tortured them, they mocked them, they threw him in prison, they cut him in half with a saw, they stoned him, they killed him with the sword. They were alone. We need a greater prophet. We need a prophet that the people will hear and obey. Who is this prophet? Then the night got longer. Then the night got colder. For 400 years, there was no king, there was no word, there was no prophet, there was no promise, but only the oppressing Romans, nothing except those two immovable beacons on the shore. And there's times that we can feel like that as well, isn't there? When all seems so quiet and dark within our own hearts, and it seems like there's no word, and no way, but we're to, we are to remember those beacons, the mercy and the grace and the promises of God that are fixed forever and immovable. We need to keep our eyes on the Word of God, no matter how dark or empty our lives can seem, waiting, looking, longing, until suddenly, in the quiet country, an angel messenger was sent to a little place to a young lady named Mary and to her husband-to-be. And the angel said in Matthew 1.21, Mary had conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, 
and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Who is this mediator? Who is this deliverer, this king, this prophet, this priest? Our Lord Jesus Christ. All of history is pointing you to this one Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, born in Bethlehem. He is the promised seed of the woman. All the descendants of, uh, the descendants of Adam and Eve, of the patriarchs of, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the descendants of King and of Solomon. He was born as the son of Mary so that he could die and shed his blood on the cross as the one offering for sin whereby we must be saved. This is the Jesus who crushed Satan's head when he died on the cross because he will save his people from their sins by delivering them out of the power and out of the hands and the clutches of Satan. And the catechism summarizes and says, because the justice of God requires that the same human nature which sin should likewise make satisfaction for sin. And one who is himself a sinner cannot satisfy for others. But Jesus Christ had no sin. He was born a man, but he was perfectly righteous. He could die in his human nature to pay for the sins of his people when the Lord laid upon him the iniquity of us all. But he was perfectly righteous, born without sin, not conceived by Joseph, but by the Holy Spirit. That means Jesus had no original sin, which we are all born with. He had no sin. He didn't have to pay for his own sin first. But he was our perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God, without spot, without blemish. Jesus is the Son of God, conceived by the Holy Spirit. And Matthew one twenty three says, They shall call his name Emmanuel, which is interpreted God with us. God taking on him human flesh, human nature, so that he can be your deliverer. And if you look at verse 23, it says, So all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. This is where all of history leads us, to the one deliverer, the Lord Jesus Christ. God comes to you in mercy, And God directs you to His Son. And He is still willing and able to save those who are not. Those who are still enemies of God. But those of you who have learned to know Him, don't be discouraged if it seems like the journey is taking so long. If at times it can seem so dark and fearful, because He is the same mediator still. He ever lives to make intercession for transgressors. He is always and ever your high priest in heaven, praying for you. And He's there for you here with His Holy Spirit. His light shines through His Word and by His Spirit, and Christ shall give you light. He is the one who shines from off that shore to guide you through the storms of this life. He is your mediator who leads you from the slavery of sin to deliverance and freedom. He is your mediator who sacrificed his own body for you, finding you where you are, that he came and loved you to, to, to the end, laid down his own life for his friends. He is your mediator who entered into God's presence because his, he had no sin, because he brought the payment for sin on your behalf. 
He is that great king who will rule in your hearts. When at times our hearts are so rebellious and so unwilling to submit, but he will rule with that perfect peace in your heart to lead you in his way and lead you to himself and subdue all our sinful inclinations. He is that great prophet who will enable you to believe and to trust in him. Do you see him? Do you see him today? All of history points to him. But have our eyes been opened to see him, to need him, to desire him, to worship him? Now he calls us. Today is the day of salvation. Today he still calls you to come to him. And today he says, kiss the son, lest he become angry. Oh, shall we not worship the God then who has shown his mercy in such great ways to us? Amen.